AFP reporter Paul Guillard went to Oxford, Mississippi to cover the enrollment of James Meredith at the University of Mr. Mississippi. James Meredith is now in residence on the campus of the University of Mississippi. When he arrived with photographer Sammy Schulman, a protest had turned into a riot. And no mob, Guillard and Schulman split up to cover the unrest. A court of law. A reporter. His name is Paul Guillard. G-U-I-H-A-R-D. Was killed in Oxford just now. Shot in the back from a foot away. Who killed Paul Guillard? Second and final episode. Beneath the Mississippi moon, somebody better investigate soon. His body was found by students who were going back to their dormitories. Kathleen Wickham. He was pronounced dead um, at the local hospital. Uh, one of the students told me, at first I didn't know he was dead or murdered. There was no blood on his jacket. He had on a heavy tweed coat, and if you can just imagine, the blood would not have necessarily soaked out. But they gathered a blanket from one of the dormitories and covered him. Uh, the one student who knew how to do CPR, tried to revive him without any success. Reporters were trying to fly below the radar. Hank Klibanoff. Trying to be less visible. If they had cameras, they were instant targets. When a television station from Dallas, I believe, uh, sent a camera truck onto campus, the truck was overturned, you know, and one reporter barely got out with his life, Ed Yoder. It is true that Paul Guillard was very eye-catching. He was a husky guy. He had a red beard and red hair. Again, the night of the riots, my contention is that most of the troublemakers were outsiders. They were not the Ole Miss students. Sidna Brower. I had opened up the, the journalism building, which was right at that time at the entrance to the university, so that reporters and photographers could use our phones and desk in the, the uh, dark room. And one time I went to the door, and there was a fairly young boy, and I guess his father who were obviously very angry and said, uh, we're going to kill him. And I thought, hmm, maybe I'd better lock the door if this is the type of folks that are coming into uh, the campus. And William Faulkner, his brother John was an outlier segregationist. John had two sons. Jimmy and Chucky. I'm sorry, it's his family nickname. And Chucky was a commander in the National Guard unit. So the night of the riot, he arrived on campus leading his men from the local armory, and the, the rioters threw a brick, and he, he had a broken arm. Sometime later, Jimmy, who was a segregationist, and his buddies grabbed a bulldozer that was on campus because of a construction going on. Next thing you know, you have in front of the Lyceum, there is Jimmy on the bulldozer, and there is Chucky charged with stopping the bulldozer. And it comes right out of a Faulkner book, Brother versus Brother, Civil War versus Civil War. Given the circumstance there that night, it's phenomenal that only two people were killed, Paul Guillard and another guy who just happened to come to campus to take a look at what was going on. Ray Gunter, and those were the only two who were killed. You know, if you were caught in the middle of all this, I'm sure it looked like the world was coming to an end. 
I have talked to many students from that time, but actually we do know that as the night got darker and later, they were coming from out of state and out of town because there had been calls out on the radio to defend Ole Miss. on my mind was trying to get out a newspaper. I had my managing editor covering what was happening, and I was to write an editorial. And the thing is, in those days, girls had to be in their dorm or sorority houses by 11 o'clock, so I had to get a paper laid out and organized for um, printing before I could, could leave. Right before 11 o'clock, I did go back to my sorority house, and fortunately, a UPI photographer walked me back because it was really scary. In fact, a bullet, you could hear the noises, and, and a bullet whizzed past right in front of us. In the midst of this huge riot, the U.S. Marshals, they would go out and try to control things, but then they would get shot and they were being hit by bullets and pellets. It's a miracle that none of them were killed. And if you look at the photographs of the U.S. Marshals, when they had to retreat inside an administration building, the Lyceum, you see that there's not even enough people there to bandage them up. And they're trying to get their orders from Washington, D.C., and they're trying to send the message to Washington, D.C., we need help. We need more people. This thing is out of hand. One of my cousins, Dr. Gerald Hopkins was treating the injured marshals and I think anyone else that had been injured, but I don't know whether he saw Paul Guillard or not. And Jerry died a few years ago, so, you know, I can't even mm. ask you. But it was sort of ironic that here he was in the Lyceum treating injured, and during the Civil War, that building was also used as a hospital. President Kennedy told Agence France Presse yesterday that he wanted to express the dismay of the American people over the death of Paul Guillard, the French news agency's reporter, who was killed Sunday night during the rioting on the campus of the University of Mississippi. In a telegram to the agency office at 50 Rockefeller Plaza, President We couldn't Kennedy find the pictures that Schulman took. We couldn't find them. Don Emmert. I would imagine, given the story, that... Um, if he was there and found out what happened, that he probably went into kind of a, a shock and forgot about the story that he was working on, and suddenly he was faced with the death of a comrade that was covering the story with him. So it's hard to say what would have happened to all those images. That's one of the questions, maybe you know. I haven't found any picture taken by Sami Schulman that day. It's strange because I think he took pictures before coming to your dark room. Yeah, I'm just wondering if maybe, you know, he left so suddenly that the film was destroyed. Oh. Because we were in the process of developing some film. By opening the door, it might have just ruined uh, the film. I don't, I don't know. What was the reaction the day after? I think people were just shocked that anyone was killed. The next morning, for me to go back to the uh, Brady building... I had three checkpoints because the truth had then come on campus. President Kennedy had sent in the National Guard and the, the Army. 
uh, Meredith did enroll, and he goes to school, and he certainly takes a lot of, you know, flack from some people. Others showed him kindness, but he stays there, and he ultimately is able to graduate with his degree from the University of Mississippi. He still lives in Jackson, Mississippi to this day. He has not stayed always on the path that many of them. He went to work for a while for this very, very conservative United States Senator, Jesse Helms. He fascinates people and he baffles people by the things he does and the things he says. Even though I felt that James Meredith had a right to be there, I knew that it wouldn't help if I said that. So... I appealed or tried to appeal to the sense of law and order. I just wrote what was in my mind and on my heart. The Violence Will Not Help, The Mississippian, October 1st, 1962, by Sidna Brower. This is an appeal to the entire student body and to anyone concerned with the present situation. Not only do the students chance forfeiting their education by participating in riots, but they're bringing dishonor and shame to the university and the state of Mississippi. When students hurled rocks, bottles, and eggs, the federal marshals were forced to resort to tear gas to back off the crowds. When outsiders show their objections in the form of violence, they're seriously injuring the students in their attempt to continue their education. As a student, I beg you to return to your homes. After your editorial, people were not very nice with you. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, um, you know, I had one guy that would follow me around campus hurling insults and, you know, claiming I was being paid by the NAACP or um, I had a couple of sorority sisters who um, had a room at the top of the front stairs and one of them would spit on me if I came up and um, I soon decided that it was better to just go up the back stairs and avoid that way to my room. Years later, one of the girls did apologize to me, and I'm afraid I wasn't very gracious. I said, you're about 50 years too late. The Civil War was fought over 100 years ago over almost the same issues, and the United States of America prevailed. The federal government is once again showing its strength and power to uphold the laws of our country. No matter what your convictions, you should follow the advice of Governor Ross Barnett by not taking any action for violence. Blood has already been shed and will continue to flow unless people realize the seriousness of this situation. Whatever your beliefs, you are a citizen of the United States of America and of the state of Mississippi and should preserve peace and harmony of both governments. The campus senate tried to censure me, C-E-N-S-O-R, and they found that they couldn't do that. So uh, they finally had a vote to censor, C-E-N-S-U-R-E, basically slapping my hand and saying that I had not upheld Southern traditions. And unfortunately, it just once again gave the university a bad name. I got a lot of very nice national publicity and recognition for that. What did they mean by Southern traditions? That's what I questioned, because... As I said, basically, my editorials appealing to law and order it was that I had uh, failed in a time of grave crisis to represent and uphold the rights of her fellow students. 
Three months after Meredith had been admitted to Ole Miss, Bob Dylan released his second album called The Free Willing. The cover showed Dylan walking arm in arm with his muse, Susie Rotolo, on the New York street. Blowing in the Wind was the first track on side A and eventually became the hit of the album. Another track on side B was called Oxford Town and recalled the events of September 30, 1962 at Ole Miss. The last sentence of the song was Two men die beneath the Mississippi moon, somebody better investigate soon. Guillard was one of the men. The investigation didn't go anywhere. The local law enforcement people took it to what we call the grand jury that investigates crimes. And they basically said, well, if the federal government had not tried to put James Meredith on campus that night, there wouldn't have been a riot and he wouldn't have been killed. So well, what are you talking about? There's no problem here. It's all the federal government's fault uh, setting up a scene that someone could have gotten killed. And then nothing happened. And how did you find the story of uh, Paul Guillard? During our 40th anniversary commemoration programs, I began reading a lot about what happened in Ole Miss in um, 1962. And I realized most references to Paul involved a paragraph. Sometimes he wasn't even named. And I was outraged. A journalist was murdered on our campus. And that's all you get? You, <laughs> not even a memorial? From reading in the book so little information, I started what we all do today. I Googled him, and I came across his obituary in the New York Times, and that just led me to file a Freedom of Information request from the uh, U.S. Department of Justice. They sent me a, a, an extensive file on the investigation, including the autopsy, and I just became obsessed. I mean, there's no other thing to say about it. I became obsessed with memorializing Paul because I thought that his sacrifice was so significant that it did not deserve to be just a footnote in history. What did you find on him? He's remarkable for this one unusual, maybe surprising fact. In the entire span of time that the press, American and international, was covering the civil rights struggle in the South and covering it from the front lines, uh, in the trenches, taking the heat, taking the, the segregation, spitting on them and yelling at them. And all of that time and all of that tension, only one journalist was killed. Paul Guillard, Agence France Press, who was based in New York. And I was the faculty advisor for our student journalism organization, and we received a grant to install a memorial bench in his memory. Ideally, we would have liked to have put it where he was found. Unfortunately, there's a new building on that location, so we put it next to the School of Journalism, near where an area he would have been when the U.S. Army arrived to shut down the riot. And then the following year, the Society of Professional Journalists named the University of Mississippi campus a National Historic Site in Journalism in honor of Paul and the 300 other reporters who covered the riot. In 2009, you were invited to deliver the speech for the inauguration of that bench. And during that speech, you made a call to people to talk about, the, about what happened that night and try to find the one who killed Paul Guillard. Is that correct? I did. As I was writing my speech, I was thinking, there's somebody out there, <laughs> somebody out there who knows what happened, who knows who was there, who saw it, maybe who did it. 
or who knows somebody who was there, and that really I'd be remiss not to address them directly without any idea that anyone would know or hear. But my ad manager and I, we set up a scholarship in Guillard's name, and unfortunately, we've never been able to find out what happened to that money. I know a few years after uh, Guillard died, I had questioned someone in the administration, and and their comment was, what does it matter? He was a communist. And, (laughs) you know, I said, but he was killed, and we set up this scholarship, but I was never able to find out what happened to the money. I did say to the killer, I said, tell us what happened. Tell us what you said, what he said, what you did, what he did. Tell us why you did it. Tell us how it felt. Then tell us who you are. Tell us your story. What led you to be there that night? And what have you been doing since? Have you wrestled with the memory of your act? Every day or just when you read about gatherings that memorialize the events here? How does this act fit in with your life? Was this just another in a series of criminal acts in your life? Or was it an example of a high-flying burst of idiocy? And what happened? And I have to say that to this day, no one has. And that was 10 years ago I gave the speech. But Jerry Mitchell, the reporter for the Jackson Clarion Ledger, became the number one leading civil rights cold case investigative reporter in the country. And he brought many of these bad cases to justice after all these years. And after I gave my speech the next day or later that day, he called me and says, you're not going to believe this. He says, I've gotten a call from somebody. He's a fellow who lived near the Oxford campus back in 1962 in the aftermath of all this sometime within a few days or maybe a couple of weeks. Civil Rights Division, notice to close file, date 7-16-2011. Investigation related to gun possibly used during the riot. A second lead involved a new story from the Clarion Ledger in April 2009. In the story, author and journalist Hank Klebanov encouraged anyone with information on Giard's death to come forward. After reading the story, contacted the newspaper. Told the newspaper that when he was six years old, his family moved to a house in Oxford shortly after the September 30th riot. He recalled a winter day in 1962 when a man from Alabama came to his front door and explained that he had been in Oxford during the riot and left something in the basement of the house that he needed to retrieve. The man said that the house had been empty and appeared abandoned when he was there several months back. allowed the man to enter the basement and watched as the man retrieved a handgun wrapped in a cloth from inside of the furnace pipe. The man actually dropped the gun and joked about it not going off remembered the gun as being larger than a .22 caliber but smaller than a .44 or .45 caliber. Maybe the pistol that killed Paul Guillard. What did people in Oxford say on the case? My colleagues were uh, fascinated because they didn't know this story either. And as I began to expand my research, I had come across a lot of information about the reporters. The research that I also found had to do with the U.S. Marshals files, files that nobody else had touched since they had been put in storage. And so I realized 
from reading all the other reporters' stories from interviews that they were, the reporters were beaten. The broadcast equipment was thrown to the ground. You have to remember back in 1962, a broadcast reporter didn't just have a little camera. He had a sound man. He had a light man. He had a cameraman. There were four people. And as soon as you turned on those lights, the crowd came after them. And in your book, you found some of them? We decided to focus on just 12 uh, photographers, reporters, and magazine writers who all had different perspectives, including the fact that the African-American reporters were not allowed on campus for their own safety. And then you had also, uh, you were nominated for the Pulitzer Prize? Yes, for my editorials. <laughs> I prayed that I wouldn't get it because I thought, you know, here I am, 21 years old, and where do I go from here if I have a Pulitzer Prize? But then 40 years later, I was commended for the outstanding journalistic courage. It was a very emotional time and I guess a way that I felt like I could finally forgive what had happened and what people did to me. I wouldn't say that Hog Yard was forgotten. It takes the South a long time to pay tribute to those who were courageous in civil rights. I will say that the University of Mississippi more than any other Southern university, has paid its proper respects to James Meredith. And uh, now I'm glad to see that the University of Mississippi has paid tribute to Paul Guillard as well. Who killed Paul Guillard? It's never been solved. And I've often questioned, did they really try? Um... Paul's brother, Alan, said that Paul would have carried a small camera. He probably observed members of the Ku Klux Klan unloading guns as part of the riot. He uh, may have taken a photograph. Is there a camera out there with film from 1962? No investigative reporter wouldn't entertain that possibility. The FBI also investigated reported connections between the Citizens Council, the Ku Klux Klan, and the riot at the University of Mississippi. FBI informants provided some leads on Klan members in Alabama who encouraged others to travel to Oxford and protest Meredith's admission. Do you think uh, somebody will, uh, will come up someday? And it's a long time ago now. I have to tell you that I am optimistic about these things. Somewhere in a closet, there's a record. And someday we'll know more than we do now. And I'm certainly hopeful that that day will come. I'm hoping for a deathbed confession. I'm hoping that people know. You don't just shoot somebody and walk away. People know. They may not want to tell it. They may fear the public shame. But I hope, I keep thinking every time I get a story out there, that there is somebody on his deathbed who wants to confess and be forgiven before he meets his maker. So I am still optimistic that someday we might actually know. I asked the killer, I said, how do you think you're going to end up? Where do you think you're going to end up? This was Beneath the Mississippi Moon, Somebody Better Investigate Soon. 
the second and final episode of Who Killed Paul Guillard podcast with Kathleen Wickham, Hank Klibanoff, Sidna Brower, and Don Emmert. At Agence France Presse in Paris, graphic design and illustrations by AFP's interactive team, Fred Bourget and David Lorry. File pictures by Cecil Cadell, text editing by Jana Dlugi. Who Killed Paul Guillard was produced by Laurent Kalfala.